So I'm going to get straight into giving my testimony for you guys. Um, this is an awesome story. I think you're all going to love it. And I am glad to be in it because God wrote this story and I'm just a character in this story. And, uh, you know, I don't know where it's going yet. I don't know the end of it, but he knows the end of it. So I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready because God, he has a way of turning things around. So, um, you know, all right, I'm going to start out with a little, with a little bit of talking here that before I start reading from this, uh, you know, since I've been coming to church, I've heard a lot of people say, come as you are. And I like that, but they always, you know, they got to remember to keep that last part, come as you are, but leave changed. Leave change. Let something change in your heart and in your spirit. Let God get a hold of you, you know. Let God do the unseen changes. You know, I've been changed in church a lot of times on my inside and my outside. Before I actually started my testimony, I want to share with y'all one time while I was here at Austin First Church and I've been framing, uh, and somehow that day I had hurt my ankle really bad and it had got to the point where I could barely walk on it. And it was a Wednesday. And I was like, God, oh, you know, this is a good excuse to stay home. I don't have to go to church tonight because, you know, I have an excuse. My foot's hurt. I could barely walk. But I came into the house of God, you know, and I, I knew that the word says that, you know, if we come and we ask the elders to lay hands on us and anoint us with oil, that God is faithful to heal us and that he'll heal us. And so I, I did. I did that. I came to the house of God, and I came and I stood right up here in the front, and a couple of these men came and they laid hands on me and they prayed for me. And uh, I'd like to say it was instant, and I immediately felt like it was completely healed, but it wasn't quite instant. We were singing, and we were dancing, and I started kind of swaying side to side, and I stretched it a little bit, and I felt some popping and cracking going in that ankle. Oh, and I, so I put a little more weight on it, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I can stand on it. And before you know it, man, I felt it popping and cracking, and I was like, oh, hallelujah. It was healed. So I have physically been healed by the hand of God right here, right here in the front, right here by this altar. Some of you people that are here today, thank you guests for coming, by the way. I'm glad to see, you know, some of you lovely faces out there, guys that I've known for a long time. And even my cousin is here. I appreciate that. And I don't have a lot of family out there. So, I, you know, I love to see my cousin in the house of the Lord. Uh, so, yeah, so God touched me right there, man, right here in this spot. He healed my ankle. And that's a testimony, and it's not written in here because I wrote this before that happened. Um, so God has brought me a long way, and one night I was laying in bed, and God was dealing with me, and he told me I needed to get up, and I needed to go write it down. And I laid there for about two hours wrestling with that thought, and I'm like, I'm not a writer. God, you know, I, I can write numbers. I'm a carpenter. But he wanted me to go write it down. I felt him pulling on my spirit, and he told me, you have to share this. This is what I've done. You have to share this story with people because I've brought you through so much. So I got up, and I went, and I sat down. And that night, I sat there, and I wrote like nine pages without stopping. It was like midnight when I started. It was like one when I finished, and I was like, then I gave it all to my wife the next day, and she typed it, and it was like five pages. So it was still good. <laughs> but um. I do have some scriptures for us today, though. I, I don't want to uh, just read what God gave me to wrote, but I'd like to share with y'all some scriptures if we could pull up Psalms 107 and 2. And uh, the word of God says, to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And when he has redeemed them from their trouble, yeah, when he has redeemed them from their trouble, from their, yeah, sorry, I, I missed that up a little bit. And delivered them from the hand of their enemy. I didn't, uh, I didn't get it all completely written. Sorry. So I'm going to begin now and tell y'all about my story. The, the story that God, you know, wrote for me. 
Uh, and when I was in my earliest, in my earliest years, you know, I remember that I didn't have a father in my life. Uh, my mom, she had lots of boyfriends, and they would come and go, but, you know, there was no father there. Uh, I never met him. I asked her who he was. She said that he was in a band. He was a guitar player, you know, and so I remember all these men coming into her life for short periods of time, and a lot of them were violent and physical, abusive with her, uh, you know, and so in a young age, I had uh, had that missing out of my life. I didn't have that father figure, you know, and a lot of people in the world this, today, they, they struggle with that. I know that's a very common thing, and that's a big problem with what we got going on with the world right now is absent fathers. And that was the beginning of my road to destruction and darkness was that I didn't have a father. I didn't have anybody with authority over me in my life. You know, my mother, uh, she wasn't strong in the ways of authority. Uh, she was actually, she was a hippie, and so she was kind of like, you know, peace and love and, you know, weed and we, we smoked weed. And, you know, by the time I was nine years old, I was smoking weed with my mom in her house. And, you know, it, it was, uh, it was open. It was okay in her house. Uh, you know, by the time, I don't even remember how young I was when I actually started, but it didn't take long for it to be okay. And it was accepted. And so I grew up, you know, with that. And I grew up seeing all these men being abusive to my mom, and so I grew angry, and I also, I was kind of dorky looking when I was little. I know that's hard to believe, but my mom was a hippie, so she wanted me to have long hair, but the schools would only let the hair go so long, so instead of going down, my hair goes up, you know, and, and so, and then I have these glasses, and you know, when I was young, I was poor. My parents couldn't afford good glasses, so we didn't get to reduce the lenses, you know, so they were like huge lenses and big hair, you know, and, and we were poor, so all my clothes were, you know, either hand-me-downs or from the, from the um, resale shops. And so I got picked on a lot in school. I got made fun of, but not very much because, you know, I, I didn't, it didn't take long for me to learn to fight. And I got in a lot of fights. I got in a lot of fights in school. And sometimes whenever they were too big for me, my cousin would take over. And so, you know, he was a little older than me. And so, you know, it was just a common thing. And then with having no father figure... You know, I, I started getting into trouble in school. I was expelled several times, you know, and then I started hanging out with kids who were like-minded like me, who thought the same way, you know, and so we would reflect off of each other, and we went down this dark road where, man, we were taking alcohol to school. There were times we took weapons to school, and it, it escalated. And so by the time I was 13, by the time I was 13, I had uh, started accumulating a, a pretty big rap sheet. I had already had you know, several charges with marijuana and I'd been in trouble for burglarizing a school. We actually broke in and destroyed it. And you know, it was, this was at 13, I was so young and, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I was going down this road, but I didn't really understand where this road was taking me. And so by the time I was 13, my mom, she had remarried and she married this guy named Ken. It was. Uh, he was actually my father, stepfather, right up until my mom passed away. And uh, he was a hippie also. So even though I finally had a man, a father figure in my life, he was, you know, very absent still because he was content with going to work and coming home and sitting on the couch and smoking weed and watching TV. You know, that was his God was marijuana and TV. And that's what, he, you know, he really wanted out of life. And that's all he gave out of life. And uh, so by 13 years old, you know, they had other hippie friends and We'd go out in the country, and, and they taught me how to pick psilocybin mushrooms. And so I started tripping mushrooms by the time I was 13. Um, 
Yeah, so at 13, you know, it was okay, and my mom would be okay with it, and she actually allowed me and, and taught me how. And I look at my daughter now, who's 10, and think about the times that my mom allowed me to do these things, and I'm like, how? How in the world do they think this is okay? But that's the problem with the world, is they don't see it. They're blinded. They're blinded by the sin that they're in. So by the time I was 15, I had been in trouble several times, and um, I had a, a pretty good rap sheet going. I'd been arrested many times, and uh, I had a probation violation, so I was going to the probation department, and I drove, uh, yeah, I didn't have a driver's license, but I drove this green El Camino, and I drove it, and I parked it in front of the probation office thinking I was going to be out shortly and going to drive it away, and yeah, they, they weren't letting that happen. So that night... That night they arrested me and I was 15 and they put me in this cell and it was the first time that I'd ever been in a real cell and it was, uh, I don't know exactly the dimensions, maybe six by six, maybe eight by eight, you know, and I sat there and I, I, they had to stay there with me because I was the only person in this building, in this room. And so the, pro the probation officer, he stayed there that night and he had to stay in the room with me until the next morning. So he slept there on a chair. And I was so angry. I was so full of hate. I was looking through the glass at him, and I, I could feel my hatred so strong. I was so mad that he had taken me out of the things that I was doing that I literally wanted to hate him to death. I thought that if I could hate him enough that he could feel it, that he could feel it across the room. And I think he might have, because the next day they took me to a judge in Bastrop named Benton Eskew. And uh, Benton Eskew gave me an opportunity. He gave me two options. He said that he could send me to TYC for the next three years until I turned 18, or I could take a three-month program called Victory Outreach. Now, Victory Outreach was a program that was, it was newly starting up. It was in Austin, and it was a, a, a home for men who had been lost with God, and it was a, a Christian-based rehab. And so they had to emancipate me at 15 because they couldn't cross church and state, so I had to go with free will. You know, in that night in that cell, I was so lost and so dark of a place that I thought that my world was over. I thought that my life was over already. At 15, I was like, man, this is it for me. This is what the rest of my life is going to be like. You know, and so when they gave me that opportunity to do three years in TYC or three months at Victory Outreach, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know about God. I don't know about any, I don't care. I want three months. I don't want to go do three years, you know. So I took what looked like the easiest out. You know, and to me, it had nothing to do with religion. It had nothing to do with getting to know God. I w I'd never even heard about God. Nobody was telling me these things. I didn't grow up in a, in a family where they told you these things. You know, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do three months. And so I go to Austin, and I go to this place called Victory Outreach. And I could take you there, but I don't know my directions very good to tell you all where it is. They actually still have a place. I think they've changed the name. Uh, now, but it's still there, and it's still a home for men where they, you know, they disciple men there and, and teach them to restore their relationship with God. And so I get to this place, and I'm the only white guy there, and I, you know, I'm not racist, but it was a little awkward. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, it, I get there, and I'm like, I look dorky, you know, and so I'm immediately thinking I'm about to be in a fight. You know, it's, it's inevitable. And so... <laughs> You know, because that's my mentality. That's how I'm, you know, that's what I'm trained. That's what I'm programmed. And I'm thinking, this is a fight about to happen, but that's all right, because I'm taking my three months. And, uh, and, and when they're done with the fight, then I'm going to have my choice of bunks. But, <laughs> but it didn't go that way. These guys that I met, they were different, man. They, 
you know, they started telling me that they loved me. They didn't even know me. How could they love me? They, they couldn't love me. But they started telling me that God was real and that God loved me. And I'm like, man, this is, I don't even want to be here, you know. I'm like, just, I'm just going to hunker down and just try to push my way through this three months. But it was a very um, in-depth program. Like, you were required every morning to get up. And they took us from the house that we stayed in, and they took us to a church building at 5 a.m. And we would get on our knees, and we had, to, we had to get down on our knees, but they couldn't make you pray. You know, so I would get there, and I'd get on my knees, and I'd kind of take a nap from 5 to 6, you know. <laughs> because it was early, and I didn't want to get up. And so, I, you know, I would spend my days, and these guys were talking to me and telling me their stories. And uh, forgive me a moment. They, they were telling me their stories. And they, then I was starting to realize that we really weren't that different. I was a lot like these guys. Their stories, their backgrounds, just like mine. The only difference is they had found something. And I, I, I was still searching. But I started reading my Bible, and I started searching. And the things they were telling me, man, I, I was inspired. I started looking in my Bible, and I was reading it for the first time in my life. And I was like, man, is this real? Could this be real? You know, and so I went, and instead of just taking a nap on the, on the pew, you know, and taking a nap at the altar, I started praying. I'm like, God, I don't know. I don't know. Is this real? Are you real? It, can you really change me? Do you really love me? Like, how could this be that you created the whole earth, and you created the whole heavens, and, and then you still love me? Like, how do you know me? How do you know me, God? And I'd pray, and I was, you know, going to church services with them. And uh, one morning, man, I was praying, and, and I had never been told about it before. I had never been told about the Holy Spirit or God or how he works or how he moves in your heart. And one morning I was praying. I'm like, God, man, I love this. I, I love you. I love this idea. I love this. God, if you're real, show me you're real. I want to feel you. I want to know you're real. And God filled me that morning with the Holy Ghost. And I started speaking in tongues. I felt a peace come over me that I had never had before in my life, man. I thought, wow, they're real. This is for real. All these guys, they're not kidding. They're for real. These people, are, they're telling the truth. And I'm like, wow. And so I'm, I'm like getting fired up, man. And, it, and I still got like a month to go in the program because it was a short program, you know. And so I get really in-depth in it, and I start studying and reading my Bible. And, man, I was like, this is awesome. We were going out on the streets in Austin and started testifying to other people, you know, and I would go with them and listen to the stories that these guys, I mean, we were mixed in. It was, it was youth, but there was also grown men, you know. And so we were going in these groups, and, and we were listening to them testify about their stories of how they'd been brought off the streets and, and brought out of addictions and, and brought out of these broken homes and how God had restored them. Man, I was inspired. And so when my three months ended, I went to the pastor over the program, and I'm like, man, I want to take this home. I want to take this back to my friends and my family, and I want to share this with them. I want to share how God has changed me and how God is changing me. And he's like, oh, oh slow down, Chris. You're not ready to leave. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, my three months is about to be up, man. He's like, no, no, you're not ready to leave. You need to stay here until you have a stronger relationship with God. I'm like, no, I've been praying, pastor. I've been fasting. We're good. And so... So I left, you know, because, yeah, it's what you do when you're 15 and you don't know any better. So, so I did. I left, and I went back home, and I went back to my mom's house, and it didn't take long, man. It was like within two weeks, I was back to smoking cigarettes and smoking weed again, you know, and it was a little better for a season, 
Uh, I don't know where I'm at in my notes, by the way. I'm somewhere along here. It was a little better for a season, you know, and I actually was able, uh, my stepdad's brother gave me a car for my 16th birthday, which was amazing because, like, we were poor. Like, that was incredible. I didn't even hardly know him, really, and he bought me a car, and I'm like, God, maybe you are real. Wow. You know, because we, we think of material things as blessings, right? So this car was like, but it really wasn't. I got the car, and then I started getting, you know, going to work, and I got me a job at Subway, and I, I was already smoking weed again, and, um, you know, I had started drifting away pretty quick, and before long, I never thought about God anymore. You know, it was a past thing that had happened. It was just an experience that just passed by, you know. And so I, I never really thought about it anymore because I lived in the moment, man. I lived in the heat of the moment. I lived for the parties and the drugs and the things of the world. And so I got me a job at Subway, and I had all these friends that, you know, they all were doing drugs still. And so it didn't take long. I was right back in it. And then one night at Subway, we were, we were swamped, man. We were just swamped with people there. And it was me and one other guy, and he was a manager. And he's like, hey, come back here a minute. And he had chopped up some lines of cocaine on the back counter. And he's like, man, if you want to try this, dude, this will keep you up. We'll be going. We'll get it done. You know, and I'm like, I'd heard about it before, and it really didn't scare me. You know, so I'm like, all right, let's try it, you know, and so I did, and it was a big mistake, man, it was a big mistake, but I, I know that the life, the path I was headed down, it was, it was going to happen anyway, because it was so common in my family and so common around me, you know, and, and so I knew that I was headed down that path anyway, and I did it, and it didn't take long before it became a strong addiction in my life, you know, it, it wasn't long before that drug started taking over in my life, and it wasn't only that drug, but from that point, I started getting into my favorite drug, which was whatever I could get. Uh, I did pretty much anything I could afford. I did anything that I could find. Like, I just did what I could get. Like, that was my drug. And uh, so, let me see here for a moment. I don't want to miss anything for you guys. So if we could, let's go ahead and roll that video. So whenever I was doing these drugs, my parents had a, a piece of land with a cliff in the back. And I know y'all heard pastors say the other day that they called me a caveman at times. And it's true, I did have a cave. Uh, we saw it in the back of the property. We saw the cliff and we saw the indention. And we decided that if we started digging into the side of this cliff, then we could close off the front and we could smog it out, you know, because we smoked a lot of marijuana. And so uh, this is the cave. Can we get audio with it? If not, I can, uh, I can audio if we need to. Yeah, I got a mic now, so I hope y'all are, you know, ready to stay for a little while. <laughs> My wife said she's going to do this if I get too long-winded, you know, because we haven't even got to the good part. Okay, so we're at the cave where my dad used to live. As you see, they cleaned it up a lot. Like, a lot. So, we're going in there. Try and touch the walls or nothing. Here we go. You know, it makes you dirty. Boy, it looks like it's really eroded. What does that mean? Like, rocks are falling down. Okay, I thought you meant like roached. <laughs> Let's be quiet. Can you do it? Alright, this is my cave. From back whenever I was a teenager. So many people have come here. There's stuff we've etched into the walls. I, mean, I wonder if ever, if like maybe somebody could come here. Panorama. 
Start out this way. So over here, stuff etched into the walls. I'm gonna stay right here because I'm a little scared. I'm scared that somebody's living in here. Nobody's living in here, but there might be a bat. There was a bat here before whenever I came in one time. Anyway, this is the front room. It's probably 16 by 16. And there's this hallway, and it goes back. And it turns. And it goes all the way into this room, which is like 12 by 16, maybe eight in the skinny part. And there you have it. That's my cave. You see the benches carved into the wall. So yeah, when we say cave, I don't mean a little hole. It's not the same when I was young. I used to have electricity and we swept it out every day. Had carpet on the floors. Wait, did, where's anyway, something you carved? Oh, this is I carved this dragon right here. Oh my gosh. It's about to the wall. What is that? That is somebody's tag symbol. I believe it was one of Trey's friends. And it, it looked a lot better when I first did it. The tag, or the drawings did. Yeah. Because they've gotten beat up over time. A friend of ours named Lester. Yeah, you can. A friend named Lester did this one. Oh, my God. But there's been a lot of people doing them over I the years. I actually had a door carved into this one time. Oh. See the crevice? Oh, yeah, I see it all around. I had dug it in, and I had put in a boards inside of this and then made yeah, a door. Yeah, head looks like. That, people, is the cave. This is the second entrance that somebody has started. I was just doing a ventilation shaft. It looks like somebody else started digging right here. They got a long way to go if they think they're gonna dig as much as I did. You know. Anyway, but that's my cave. I we played on this so cliff. Cool. Oh yeah, that was so fun. And this property was my parents when I was a teenager. Thank you, bye-bye. And that's the cave. So, um. Yeah, so the cave got dug with a lot of uh, long nights of, you know, drinking, smoking weed, partying, cocaine, methamphetamines. It was uh, something that, you know, that that's what we did, man. I got my friends, they would come over, we would do drugs, and we would dig. And uh, so my drug addictions got worse, and they got worse. And God knew that I was headed down a bad path. But I had already forgotten about God. I had already let him go. You know, uh, we would have parties at the cave and, and I could gather people there. Like there would be 150 people there partying at these parties out in the country. And, you know, I was always, it was, man, I wanted, to, I wanted to make all these people happy. And so I was selling drugs and I thought that that was making them happy. I thought that if I, if I could throw these big parties and have all the drugs, you know, and, and that we would have a good time and that they'd be happy. Until my addictions got worse and worse, and you know, my finances, they got worse and worse too. And so I started getting into burglary and robbing, and my drug addiction led me down that path to the point where I was actually going to bigger cities and I was 
robbing drug dealers from their, from their drugs. And uh, we ended up, we went and we stole guns. I got involved with some really bad guys, man, and we, we took some guns from a police officer's house and we used those to continue. And, you know, God knew where I was going and it was just pure chance, some people would say. It was chance that I got a phone call one day. And this phone call, it was, uh, it was somebody playing uh, phone pranks, you know, like my refrigerator, is your refrigerator running? And so I, I got this phone call, right? And I'm like, hold on, you can't do that to me. So I call them right back, you know, and I get to talking to these girls that are on the other end of the line. And it didn't take long for them to, you know, ask me if I smoked weed. And I'm like, yeah. And then it didn't take much more time to find out that they just lived around the corner. And they asked me to come over and bring some. And so I get up and I, I go to their house. And, and it was the first time that I ever met a man named Wang Young. Uh, some of y'all may know him. Really tall fella. He's been here a time or two. And I met him, and uh, we got to be good, good friends. And, and I met him, and, I, and through him and through the girls that had made the prank phone call, I later met my wife, and I met Bobby Hanna. And I didn't know, I didn't know that, I didn't know that Wayne's dad was a Pentecostal preacher. And see, I didn't realize that even though I had gone so far away from God, that God was making a way. God was making a way back. Even... Some people would call it chance, man, but I don't believe in chance. I believe that God was opening a door because he knew that without a door, I was lost. I was never going to make it back. He had to make a way to me. He had to make a way for me to get back to him. And I didn't see it, you know, because I was blinded by addictions and things of the world. But, but later on, it, it became clear to me, you know, and I saw that then. But to continue on my story, I got to know Wayne, you know, and Wayne, he was at a point in his life where... He had been a, a pastor's son, you know, and he'd been raised in church like some people here. And he was at a point in his life where he wanted to rebel. He was ready to get out, and he thought that he'd been held down all his life. And he thought that he'd been, you know, he, he missed out on his teenage years because he thought that he'd been held away from something great. You know, and so he got out there, and he's like, man, this is great. Take me to these parties and show me all these people. And so I did, and I started taking Wayne, and, you know, he was really tall, so everybody thought he was scary, but he always told people he wasn't the scary one. And, you know, everybody was scared of Wayne, so he, he got not just scared of him, but people liked him, you know, because he also had a good personality, you know. And when you got to know Wayne, then you got to know that he wasn't a, he wasn't a fighter, man. He was a lover. He was always a lover, not a fighter. He always chose peace over, you know, over violence. But they didn't see that part of Wayne. They just saw the outward appearance. You know, and so Wayne, you know, unfortunately, I led him down another dark road that he joined me. He started doing all these things. He started doing the same drugs. Only difference is, is that, you know, he, he really didn't have no fear. And so he took it to even further extremes than I did when it came to the drugs. And um, even though I was out robbing people, Wayne, he had, a, he had taken his drug addictions to a further place. And uh, one day I was with my mom. And I just got done flipping some cocaine that she had uh, uh, gave me the money to purchase. And I, was, I had flipped it, and I brought her back her profit. And we went in the bathroom, and we locked the door, and Wayne was there with me. And she, uh, she decided she was going to show me how to use it intravenously. And uh, so we had the door locked, and, you know, she was rigging up, and she was showing me. And she was about to teach me to do it. And Wayne come up behind me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he's like, brother, he's like, don't do this, man, because if you do this, 
your life is never going to be the same. See, Wayne had already started doing it. You know, he had already started using intravenously, and he loved me like a brother, and so he told me the truth. You know, he's like, man, just, you're good where you're at. Just keep snorting it. Don't take it to that next level because he knew how I was. I have a very addictive personality. He's like, brother, don't do it. And so I didn't. And uh, my mom, you know, she did. And, you know, uh, he did. And I didn't. And I stepped out of the room. My, my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she was my girlfriend. And she was out in the, in the living room waiting on me. And so, you know, I continued and, and he continued. And as things progressed, I ended up, I was out and I was driving around and we would drive around and we had these guns in the car and I was riding with this group of guys, man, that we were, we were listening to this music and we were so into what we were doing that we had this mindset that if we ever got pulled over or stopped, that we would shoot before we would ever go back to prison or go to jail. And so it's a miracle that I never did. I never got to that place where I had to do that because we were, we were dead set on that. And so that's why whenever I see Brother Wesley up here and I see him praying, you know, I'm like, God, thank God. Thank God I never did that because I, I know now that police officers, they're just people too, you know, but I didn't look at them like that whenever I was young. And I know that there's people out there who are like I was and worse because every story I've heard, there's always someone worse. And, and I know where I was, and I know how dangerous it is for people like Wesley, man. And, and you know, we got to really pray for people like Wesley. We got to pray for our police officers. We got to pray for our peacekeepers. So it didn't take long before the law did catch up to me. And I ended up, I got in trouble for burglarizing a police officer's house. And they took me in. It was my first day in T TDC. And... Um, they took me to a boot camp program in Childers, Texas, where I did 90 days in TDC in that boot camp program. And while I was there, there was very few people from all of these hundreds of people that would come to my parties. Very few of them wrote me. Very few of them contacted me, didn't care. It was a few, but not many. And, you know, and so I felt alone. I felt isolated. Jamie was t uh, writing me at least twice a week. Like, she wrote me a lot. And... So I started becoming more attached to her, and so I started writing her back. And then when I got out, it didn't take long before her and I started seeing each other more often. We were just friends, but we started hanging out more often. And, and I really started, you know, I started seeing that I, you know, I was starting to fall in love with her. And um, so we decided we were going to start dating, which is all great, except that my parents, even though it's okay to smoke weed at nine, they wouldn't let me, you know, let my girlfriend move in. So... <laughs> You, know, you got to keep your priorities straight. So, yeah. So we weren't allowed to live at my house. And, of course, you know, Bobo, she wasn't going to let us live at her house. <laughs> and even Jamie's mom, you know, she was the same way. She didn't want us living there out of, out of wedlock, out of marriage. And so uh, we decided we were going to live in the cave. Yeah, no problem. We threw a bed down. We had electricity. We, we moved into the cave together. And we lived there for a few months. And uh, when we moved out, we moved the bed, and there was these mounds of daddy long legs, and they're dancing under the bed. And my wife gets the heebie-jeebies still to this day from daddy long legs, right? So I get out, and uh, now I'm going to get into some more of my reading because this is where things actually start getting pretty cool. Um, so I skipped Romans 6 and 23, and I'm just going to read it. 
you know, before I went to prison, I was, I was going down a, a really dark path. Like, I was so out there, y'all. I was lost. I was in the dark, man, and, and I was headed for death. My destiny was prison. It was death. You know, God says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in our Christ, our Lord. And so I was headed down that path of death, but God intervened, you know, and God had already made a way, but I was still headed down that path. I wasn't turning. And at this point, I had some good people in my life. I had Bobby Hannah. I know she was praying for me and Jamie. You know, I had Michael and Melissa Tharp, man, they were praying for us. I know they were, and they would invite us all the time. They'd be like, come on, y'all come to church. We, we had a little church in Bastrop at the time. It was a little white church on the hill. It's way smaller than this, y'all. We're blessed. <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't straighten up yet. I was still drinking and doing some dumb things. And one day after doing something stupid, you know, I felt bad. And my wife, uh, I believe we were already married at the time. Yeah, we had already gotten married. And so we were starting our life. We had moved in together, uh, moved out of the cave. And I had done something dumb, you know, and in that moment of remorse and regret, I'm like, I was like, you know what? You're right. I do want to live for God. I do want to, let's go to church. Let's have a prayer meeting. And so we called Michael. We called Michael Tharp, man. And he's like, you know, back then he was on fire for the Lord. He's like, yeah, brother, come on. Let's go down to the church. So we all get up. We go down to the church. And it was him and Melissa and Bobo came and opened the doors for us. And it was the beginning of wintertime. It was the first cold snap of the year. We go into the church, man, and we're flipping all the lights on, and I go to the front, man, and my wife does too, and we both start praying, and I start praying. I'm like, God, all that I've been through, God, is it, you know, could I come back to you? Can you forgive me after all that I've been through? Can you forgive me after going to prison and, and running around selling drugs and, and robbing people? And, and within 10 minutes, God filled me with the Holy Spirit again and renewed me. So when I married my wife, I told her, I'm like, baby, we can't go to church. There's no way. I'm like, I've been so bad. Like, God won't have me back. If I did go back to church, man, that whole place would burn down. That whole, that whole building would burn. You just don't even know all the things that I've done, baby. Because she didn't even know all the things at the time, you know. And I said, man, that, place, that whole place is going to burn down if I ever prayed up at that altar. And so we're up there and we're praying, y'all. And I opened my eyes and the building was full of smoke. The building was actually catching on fire, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my God, was I that bad? Because I've heard worse stories, you know, but it really did. The building caught on fire. Uh, Bobo is my witness. Michael is my witness. I couldn't believe it. I opened my eyes from praying through to God, and I don't know how long I had been standing there because sometimes when God gets a hold of you and you really need it, you lose track of time. And I look around, man, and the fire department's coming down the middle of the aisle, and they're pulling hoses, right? And they're pulling hoses down there, and I'm like, I got to keep praying. Because <laughs> this, this is getting real, y'all. So I keep praying, man, and, and man, we were, we were on fire. We were, we, okay, we were, man, we were, we were on fire for God. And, you know, we started praying about all the things in our life that had been bad, and we started praying for things that were good, and we're like, God... You know, our life would be awesome if we had a baby. And, you know, so we started checking into the, the, why we weren't having a baby yet because we had already begun practicing, you know. And so um, <laughs> so we, we both had went and got tested, and I got tested. Everything was good, and Jamie got tested. And, and they told her, they're like, you know, the odds of y'all having a baby, it's like y'all are just probably going to have to settle for adoption or dogs. 
And so we didn't think it was possible, you know. And so we're like, man, well, that's not, that's not good. That's unfortunate, you know. And, and we're poor, man. We're living in this house that was like, you know, that room right there that got the drums in it. it it's probably about double that. Like it was like this little bitty house, man. And it, it was like you could actually eat from the, the toilet. You know, you could reach over and grab stuff. It was horrible. We were poor, you know, and I was a carpenter, so I didn't make much money, you know. And so we're praying. I'm praying at the altar. And I'm like, God, you know, we're, we're giving our tithes. We're struggling. And I felt God tell me that one day we're going to be financially, well, you know, well-suited. We're going to be blessed financially. And I'm like, I don't feel it now, but, but I claim it. I'm like, yes, Lord. So I go and I told my wife, and she liked it. She thought that was cool, you know. And I told the pastor, uh, Pastor Chandler in Bastrop, I told him, and they're like, man, that's awesome. You know, but we didn't see it come to pass. I was a carpenter. And so time went by, you know, and we're in church, and we're changing. You know, we're getting better. We think we are. We're looking at all the things that we're doing, and I kept smoking cigarettes, man, and I couldn't put them down. I'm like, God, you delivered me from alcohol, and you delivered me from weed, you know, and, and I don't do coke anymore. And, and now here I'm struggling with cigarettes. God, like, what is it? What is it that's going wrong here? Is it me? Is it something, you know, and so I've laid them on the altar and I've prayed about it. And I've done everything I knew to do. And every, every time we would have a Bible study, every time that I would try to witness to somebody, you know, I would feel that feeling of guilt. I'd feel that little bit of condemnation. The devil was there. He's telling me. Yeah, you're not, you're not a Christian. Look, you're still smoking cigarettes, man. How are you going to go witness to these people? How are you going to tell these people how powerful God is when you can't even lay them cigarettes down on the altar? Man, and the condemnation, it ate at me. It ate at me, man. And I didn't understand, you know, I didn't understand why. I'm like, God, why? After all that I've been through. Man, and so time went on, you know, and that condemnation and time and things just, man, and we were just dumb, man. And, and we started slipping away and we started... You know, going to church less, and it didn't take long before we just quit going, you know. And so twice I had walked away, you know, once as a child and then once as a young adult. And I'm like, man, this is terrible now. I don't think I'm ever going back to church. I'm never going to step back in one, you know. And so time went on, and my wife, she started going to school, and she, you know, got her nursing license, and she started working at the jail where she uh, learned how to, you know, she saw these people coming in on drugs and she felt for them. She felt bad for them because they would come in and they would detox behind bars. And detoxing behind bars is a difficult thing because drugs can kill you when you come off of them in case you didn't know that. Like, they can literally kill you. And so she was feeling sorry for these people, man. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go back and get my OVN. And so she went back and got her OVN. And in time, she started working at a drug rehab. And um, I was her first client, you know, so... Uh, after that, time went by, and, and she was blessed, man. She found favor with the people she worked for. Uh, they, she's now, she's sought after. Like, they, they, the company she works for now is a nationwide company, and they recruited her, and they, they kept coming at her with prices until she couldn't say no. And so she makes really good money, you know. And, and I've been a carpenter for 25 years, and I make pretty good money. And so we, we were doing pretty good, you know. And then we, uh, we worked hard. And the law of the harvest, you know, we worked, and so we reaped. And so we bought our house, and we paid it off. And then we bought our truck. My truck is paid off. I brought it from Brother Michael. Right? He's happy about that, too, that I paid it off. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, time went by, you know, and then one day I'm working, and, and I get a phone call, and my wife's like, hey, I got to tell you something. Well, I took the car to work that day, and she had my truck, and... So I get a little nervous. She's like, no, I got to tell you in person. You got to come up here and meet me. And I'm like, oh, man, she done busted up the fender in my truck or something. 
So I get over there, and she's like, hey, come here and check this out. And she shows me something, and I'm like, what is, what is that? She's like, no, look at it. And I'm like, yeah, I see it. And I said, what is this? What does this mean? She's like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, you're, you're pregnant? I thought they said we couldn't have kids. She's like, I don't know. I am. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, looks like me, right? No. It, <laughs> she looks like me. I'm not worried. So, yes. So, yeah, she was pregnant. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. We prayed for that. We prayed for that. So more time goes by. And by this time, we've been married for quite a while. And uh, one day, we're like, you know what, our kid, we're sitting there watching her. And we're, I got the news on, man, and things are just getting worse out there in the world. They're getting worse every day. And I, I'm looking at my kid, and I'm thinking, man, she's got to grow up in this world. Man, I know how bad it was when I was a teenager. She's going to be fighting a lot of battles. I thought, man, God, thank you for giving me this kid. And I'm like, you know what, I think I'm going to try to quit smoking cigarettes again. And so we got to talking about it. And then we're like, you know what, let's try these bubble gums. So we started chewing these nicotine gums, right? And, man, after about two weeks, we realized it worked. Two weeks went by, and I didn't smoke a cigarette. Two weeks went by, and she laid the gums down. So whenever we started coming here to Austin First Church a little over three years ago, some of y'all might have noticed that I chewed bubble gum every day. I chewed, uh, every time you saw me, I had bubble gum. You didn't think much of it, did you? But that was the last addiction I had in my life, see? And even though I still had that addiction in my life, I decided I was coming back to the house of God because he answered my prayer for a child. He made us financially stable. I started realizing that everything God had ever promised me was coming to pass. I'm like, man, that's amazing. As, as unfaithful as I am, but God's word is always true. He is always faithful, even when I wasn't. And, and all the promises he had given me were coming to pass. And so I came back to Austin First Church and brought my family, and I said, man, we're never leaving again, God. We're going to push through. We're going to tough it out. Whenever, man, mm. <laughs> even whenever we get rebuked from our pastor even when we have conflict with people in the church you know we're going to work it out because that's what we have to do that's what we have to do man that's what God has called us to do and so a couple of weeks ago, two or three months ago now we had that service where the vacation bible school came up here uh, and they, they sang and then a young man preached and um Y'all are going to remember it in a minute. So I showed up. It was on a Friday night. I've been coming to church for a while now, you know, and I thought it's just another service. Not a big deal. I'm going to come up there on Friday. Maybe something will happen because I know God is real, and I know that God can perform miracles. Yeah. And I, I sat down in my normal spot, and God says, hey, go spit that gum out. Well, hold on, God, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty good already. Like, you, you know, I'm, I'm pretty cleaned up. I'm good. God's like, no, go spit the gum out. And I'm like, that can't be God. Dad, come on, man. I'm good. Like, people don't even know I'm chewing it. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, fine, God. I'm going to do it. But you know I'm going to be grumpy when I get home. So, so I, spit, I get up and I go over here and I spit the gum in that trash can. And I go back to my, alt, to my chair. And the young man gets up here to preach. And he preaches about a fixed fight. And he told me he, in this preaching, he said, it's a fixed fight. You know, whenever they have the boxing matches and they already know who's going to win. Well, somewhere out there today, you're going through a fixed fight. God has already won this battle. 
Man, and that day I laid it down, and now I am, from the first time since I was nine years old, I am completely addiction-free. And I couldn't have done it without God, man, because he, he held me the whole time. He lifted me up. Every time that I would fall, he would lift me up. Every time that I would walk away, he made a way. God was there the whole time. His faithfulness never fails us. Man, so if you're in a place where you're struggling, if you're worried, if you're worried if God is going to be there for you and help you to get through the problems that you're having right now, I can promise you that no matter what you go through, he is going to be there for you. You just have to choose him. You have to choose his love, man, and he's always going to be there for you. Man, God has been so good. He's been so good. Like, I, I just don't even deserve to be here, y'all. My destiny, it was prison and it was death. It was, man, every male member of my family has been to prison. It, even me. But I was supposed to stay there, man. Like, I was on that path. God literally pulled me out of that life that I was in. He's been so good to me. He really does leave the 99 to come search for the one. And I can never thank him enough. So, thank God. I don't really have a whole lot else to say other than how good God is from this point, man. And if you want to know, if you want to experience for yourself how good God is, give him a try. Build a relationship. Read his word. Pray. You've got to give him a chance. You've got to seek him. The word says that if you seek him, you're going to find him. If you knock, he's going to open the door for you. But you've got to knock. You've got to give him a chance. You've got to study his word or how would you know it? He says to, to hide that word in, my, in your heart so that you won't sin against him, you know. You've got to study it and know it and test the Lord and see that he's good. And you'll see. Amen. So I just, I just want to thank you all for the opportunity to share my story today, to share God's story that he authored. I was just a character, man, because he put all these events in my life, and he knew the whole time where he was taking me. He knew he was going to bring me here to Austin First Church, you know, and there's going to be lost souls coming in this place, man. And guys like Andrew, guys like me, we're going to be able to help them. Like, we're going to be able to tell them, like, what God did for us, man. <laughs> I got to believe that God didn't send me and allow me to be born into a family like that and allow me to go through the struggles I went through for no reason. God had a reason. He had a purpose. And now he's blessed me so much, man. Like, I'm blessed beyond measure. I consider myself one of the most wealthy people I've ever met. And it ain't all financial. It ain't all physical things, man. God has given me a beautiful wife, a daughter who comes up here to the front and she prays and raises her hands. Her faith is strong. Man, not only did I get a daughter, but she's a prayer warrior, man. God blessed me. And I'm blessed to be among you people, man. Like, I don't even deserve to sit in the pews with y'all, but here I am. Look where God has changed me, dude. I went from such a bad person, that, a person that now if I saw that person, I would have to ask God to help me to talk to him because, I mean, I can because I've been there. But, like, God has changed me and totally flipped me around, and I don't even feel like that person anymore. I had so much anger in my heart. And now, you know, it's still every now and then I have an issue. None of us are perfect, you know, but God has really released me from so much anger. I didn't even tell y'all everything. We didn't have enough time. We didn't even have enough time to tell you how much God has saved me from, how much God has changed me all the holes in the walls that I've put and 
I didn't even get to share how my mom passed away and the anger that God released me from. I'm going to share that right now. You see, one morning I got a, a phone call, I believe it was, and they said that my mom's house was on fire. I was like, oh, God, no, no, not, not. I hope she's okay. I go over there, and I run over there as fast as I can. And my worst fears were true, man. Her and another young man, they, they were stuck in that house that night. And that was her last night here on earth. And, uh, you know, I stood there in front of the house, and I waited for the fire department to finish doing what they were doing. They had taped it off, and they wouldn't let me in. As soon as I could, as soon as they let me in, I went in there and I started rummaging around, trying to see if there was anything there I could salvage of my past because it was flattened, y'all. It was all burnt. My mom was in her bedroom when it happened, and my stepdad was in there with her, and he made it out, but he wasn't there. And uh, so a little time went by, and I had some guys come to me, and they told me that it was a guy that I knew from my youth. I'm not going to use his name, but he came and he told me that his nephews had been paid to start that fire. And, and uh, I was like, man, are you for real? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, I don't have no reason to tell you different, Chris. And I'm like, wow. And, I, you know, I started getting mad because my instincts were always to protect my family. You know, that was what I did. That's how I, I would fight for my mom. And so, uh, to the next day another guy came to me and he's like hey man and this guy didn't know the first one he's like hey man I gotta tell you something I'm like what he's like your stepdad paid for that fire to be started oh oh it hurt man I was so angry I was like oh all the years that he'd been living there and I, I seen him always fighting but he was seemed so peaceful but sometimes it's the quiet ones you know and I'm like all this is mulling over in my mind and I'm like oh god Man, I'm so angry right now. I want to go find him, and I want to, I want to confront him. And we were already going to church, and God was speaking to me. He's like, Chris, I've already told you, you got to let that anger go. I'm like, God, how do I let that anger go? How do I let that go? And so I go back to that property, and I go up on top of the cliff, and I'm looking down, and I'm praying. I'm like, God, how do I let this anger go? Because I just, I want to find him right now. And I, I started praying man and I felt God give me peace and he said Chris you're released man you're released from that past you're released from that anger and I was able to forgive that day and I've actually brought 